I tried every diet that was in the book. I tried some that weren't in the book. I tried eating the book. It tasted better than most of the diets. Hello and welcome to episode 434 of Under the Cull of MS. That's a little quote from Dolly Parton, I guess. Sounds like something funny that she'd say. And let's see what we can talk about today. Some MS diety tips or things that people have tried in the past, maybe. Let's see what they're talking about here. Uh... What is MS? Well, we know pretty much what that is, but I suppose we could start it out talking about that anyways. Multiple sclerosis. MS is an autoimmune disorder that gradually destroys the protective coverings that wrap around our nerve fibers. These coverings are called myelin sheaths. Over time, this disease can permanently damage our nerves, affecting communication between our brain and our body. Symptoms of MS include things such as fatigue, tingling, numbness, bladder and bowel dysfunction, movement difficulties, spasticity, impaired vision, learning, memory difficulties, cog fog, all that, and many, 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 many other symptoms are related to MS. Although diet cannot cure MS, some research suggests that making dietary changes may help people with MS manage their symptoms a little bit better. And like anything, no matter what, if you're in any rough condition at all or not not eating a healthy regimen, once you do start, your body's going to react to it. It's going to be like, hey, why haven't we been doing this for forever? Or it will tell you, hey, I don't like this. <laughs> but usually it'll like what you're doing and will definitely benefit from it, no matter if you have multiple sclerosis or if you're just get some other type of condition or you're just lazy and don't like eating healthy and don't want to eat green foods and be like my brother and hate most fruits and vegetables just can't stand them they disgust them took the longest time just to get a few that he could handle and enjoy and surprisingly like nowadays his main breakfast item that he likes to have with his breakfast stuff is asparagus that's just it's like wow it's about time <laughs> what time you grow up and eat your vegetables little brother big brother older brother <laughs> uh yeah multiple sclerosis is a neuro- neurological condition that gradually destroys the protective Coverings, which are called the myelin sheaths, they wrap around our nerve fibers. Scientists do not fully understand the disease. 
and there is no cure. Uh, there are no official dietary guidelines for MS. However, research suggests that making certain dietary changes may help slow disease progression and help manage MS symptoms to improve quality of life. Um, some foods that they say you should put in an MS-friendly diet are fruits and vegetables, all fresh fruits and vegetables, Grains, all grains such as oats, rice, and quinoa. Nuts and seeds, all nuts and seeds. They did. They put all at the beginning of all these lists, and I don't think they should. I disagree with this. I think there are some that are not officially perfectly good for us to put as our main staples of our diet. But hey, I'm just reading what they have to offer. Fish, all fish, especially fresh fish and fatty oily fish, such as salmon and mackerel, as they're high in omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin D acids. (laughs) I like saying omega-3 fatty acids for some reason. It always comes out that way. It's not on purpose. Uh, And vitamin D, I was told... Uh, like herring and sardines are like hugely beneficial to us. But I don't know if I could eat them. I have to chop them up and use them as in by adding them into something. But can't do them straight up. It's not my cup of tea. Uh, meats, all fresh meats such as beef, chicken, lamb, and more, especially beef liver, which is particularly high in vitamin D and biotin. Eggs, of course, good source of biotin, vitamin D, and other important nutrients. Dairy products, such as milk, cheese, yogurt, and butter. And there, some people would disagree also. A lot of these things have things that people would disagree on, so... Uh, fats, healthy fats such as olive oil, olive, flaxseed, coconut, and avocado oils. Uh, probiotic rich foods such as yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi. Beverages like water and herbal teas, herbs and spices, like all fresh herbs and spices. Yeah, I don't know. I think you could basis that a little bit better and shrink that down some get it to some key key items but basically eating plenty of fruit vegetable grain and fish may help with managing ms symptoms a person with ms may eat red meat and dairy in moderation as current research on their effects is mixed they say An MS-friendly diet is similar to a diet focused on promoting overall health and well-being. It restricts some foods such as processed meats, refined carbs, and trans fats. These foods do not help manage MS symptoms and may worsen inflammation. Things like sausages, bacon, canned meats, meats that are salted, smoked, or cured. 
refined carbs like white bread, pasta, biscuits, and flour tortilla, tortillas, fried foods, french fries, fried chicken, mozzarella sticks, donuts, all the good stuff, highly processed foods, fast foods, potato chips, convenience and frozen meals, trans fats, margarine, shortening, partially hydrogenated vegetable oils, sugar-sweetened beverages, energy drinks, sport drinks, soda, sweet tea, alcohol, limit consumption of all alcoholic beverages as much as possible. Don't have no fun. And it's like there's specialty diets, like the Swank diet, which will also include avoiding processed foods, that contain saturated fat or hydrogenated oils, limit saturated fat to 15 grams a day, consume no more than 20 to 50 grams per day of unsaturated fats, avoid red meat for a year, then limit red meat to three ounces a week. Why even bother three ounces? (laughs) Avoid dark meat, poultry, and limit fatty fish to 50 grams per day. Uh, Choose only dairy with 1% fat or less. Avoid egg yolks. Consume as many fruits and vegetables as you want. Enjoy whole grain breads, rice, and pastas. Snack on nuts and seeds daily. Consume a teaspoon of cod liver oil and a multivitamin and mineral supplement daily because you're not getting the shit that you need from the food you're eating, I'm guessing. I don't know, I didn't, I'm more into building something that my body accepts and I can live with. Uh, Wall's diet, eat nine or more cups of fruits and vegetables daily, holy shit. Three cups each of green leafy vegetables, sulfur-rich vegetables, and intensely colored fruits or vegetables. Emphasize consumption of seaweed, algae, and nutritional yeast. Consume limited servings of gluten-free grains and legumes. Avoid eggs. Consume lower meat and fish intake than the paleo diet. I don't know if I could do that one. But basically both the Swank diet and the Walls diet, elimination diet, were developed to slow progression and prevent flare-ups of MS. Limited research on the efficacy of these diets for for MS is promising. However, more well-designed research is needed. Keep in mind, any diet that eliminates whole food groups, like the Walls Elimination Diet, increases your risk for nutritional insufficiency. I mean, yeah, I don't. If you know me at all, I don't agree with any diets. I agree with you making your own diet. That's called the my body agrees with this diet. And you figure out what your body agrees with and doesn't agree with and build your lifestyle around that. Make it one that you can enjoy living and not have to struggle with and end up just dropping off a month later and going back to your old ways and and some. Uh, 
other diet tips, make sure you eat enough food. Eating too few calories can cause fatigue. Prep your meals in advance. I like doing big batches of stuff so there's leftover and freezer portions and stuff like that. Rearrange your kitchen. Make it so it Everything's easy to grab, whether you're seated or standing or whatever, whatever you got to do to get around and are able to reach and use things at those levels. Try ready ready to use items, pre-cut fruits and veggies and stuff like that. Get stuff in the frozen section. That's what I like doing. Uh, Make thicker drinks. If you have difficulty swallowing, preparing thicker beverages, like a nutrient-rich smoothie may be easier to manage. Yeah, but also smoothies can be have a lot of bad sugars, so be careful with that. Uh, soft foods may help. If you have problems chewing things, cook your vegetables and stuff. Bake your fishes. Uh Limit crumbly foods if you have difficulty swallowing or find yourself choking on food often. Consider limiting foods that crumble, such as toast and crackers. Uh, Reach out for help. Ask people if they can help with small tasks and prepping meals and cleaning things. Stay active as much as you can. Do what exercise you can. Just don't overdo it. Listen to your body and work with it. But yeah, they have a bunch of things you can go look on sites like the, the National MS Society, Swank MS Foundation, American Autoimmune Related Diseases Association Incorporated, or the Walls Protocol, National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Uh, National Malt, that's also NMSS, but there's lots of places that we talk about that you can always go to and research more information, see if you can find anything that's helpful for you, and maybe you can let someone else know about it and teach someone else something. Get out there, do a podcast. It's good for your brain. Do a blog, do something to help promote our annoying ass disease and let others know what it's like living with this thing. A cat that's begging for a little snack. We did just go for a long walk. And I took my walker out, went up the hill. I zigzagged all the way up the hill to get some extra little hiking had to sit a few extra times those seated walkers are awesome my cat follows me mr lemmy lemmy kill nicer and we went up there and then i was sitting doing some sketching working on some new thing for ms that i'm doing uh which i might do a video version of later on in the future and then uh We sat there while I was sketching. The cat just disappeared. 
went off to his little tree line to go hang out where he likes to go mess around and chase critters. And after I was sitting for a while, all of a sudden three big ass hawks came over that area and started circling. I'm like, ah, shit. They're going after my cat. I had to watch him. But they must have found something else because he eventually finally came back down with me. But yeah. I love having a cat that goes for hikes with me. Stays right alongside with me until I stop. Once I stop, if he's not content, sometimes he'll lay underneath my walker. Sometimes he'll hang out in front of me and just play for a little bit. And sometimes he'll wander off the tree line, go do his thing for a while. Uh, sense of smell. Can t- possibly be a link to MS. Progression. Let's find out why. A new study found that a person's inability to smell could be a sign that their MS, multiple sclerosis, is progressing. Sorry, I'm getting a burp attack and hiccups at the same time. So I got to take a swig of water. Have a drink if you got it. Oh, that tastes so good. After going for that walk, that ice cold water, the house was really hot, so I had to turn the air on. Water just tops it off. All right, people with progressive MS, the rate of progression is unknown, a fact that frustrates both medical experts and people with the disease. Changes in the sense of smell could be related to other illness or issues could be age related so i don't really have smell issues that apparently i smell stuff that other people don't have the time uh the result of the study suggests that olfactory dysfunction could be due to central nervous system system damage caused by demyelination exactly it would be it could i could definitely see it happen to people that had demyelination in the o olfactory areas, the sniffer areas of our body. So, yeah, they'll have to go through this study, and if you're interested, you can research it more and find out more about it. Just look up the effects of the MS study on smell and see. But it's... Let's see, do we even have a date, a rough date for when this was? No, I don't have a, don't have a date on this news print. When, oh, 2017. So yeah, we would have heard something by now. I don't think they got anywhere. Sourdough, how to make it, how healthy it is, and more. I love sourdough, and it is a healthier bread. It's one of the oldest forms of grain fermentation. Breads can be categorized as either leavened or unleavened. Leavened breads have a dough that rises during the bread-making process. 
This is caused by the gas that's released as the grain in the dough begins to ferment. Uh, sourdough bread is a leavened bread, however, rather than using baker's yeast to rise, it's leavened, leavened with wild yeast and lactic acid bacteria that are naturally present in flour. Sourdough bread also naturally contains varying levels of acidic acid bacteria, a group of bacteria that gives sourdough bread its particular vinegar-like aroma. Starters with high levels of acidic acid bacteria also take longer to ferment and rise, giving sourdough bread its characteristic texture. The yeast naturally found in sourdough bread is also thought to increase the bread's nutrient content and make it easier for the body to digest than breads that are made using baker's yeast. So basically, sourdough uses an ancient form of bread leavening. It relies on a mix of wild yeast and lactic acid bacteria that are naturally present in flour rather than baker's yeast to leave in the dough. My cat is being a little bigger, but you're not getting no more food, mister. It's almost your dinner time anyways. Jeez, take you for a hike. You should be kicked back, relaxing now. Sourdough's basic nutrition profile resembles those of other breads and depends on which type of flour is used to make it. Sourdough also has a few special properties that make it more nutritious. It contains higher levels of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants than other breads. It also contains lower levels of phytate and therefore allows your body to absorb the nutrients it contains more easily than those in regular bread. It just tastes so damn good. Sourdough bread contains lower amounts of gluten. So if you're uh, trying to go gluten-free, this is a good bread to start with. Lower levels of anti-nutrients and more prebiotics, all of which may help improve your digestion. My cat is being really, really, really weird. Sourdough fermentation produces changes in the bread that may help Control blood sugar better, better than the bread made using traditional baker's yeast. If you want to make your own starter or make your own sourdough bread, you can make a fresh sourdough bread at home from three simple ingredients. Water, flour, and salt. Basic steps required are make a sourdough starter a few days beforehand. You can find many simple recipes online. Creating an initial starter takes less than five minutes. Feed your starter daily and let it grow for a few days. You'll use part of this starter to make the bread and save the rest for future use. On the day you want to make your bread, mix part of your starter 
with flour and water and allow this mixture to rest for a few hours, then add salt. Fold the dough a few times before letting it rest again for 10 to 30 minutes. Repeat the folding and resting steps a few times until the dough becomes smooth and stretchy. On the final rest, let the dough rise at room temperature until it grows to about 1.5 times its original volume. Shape your bread loaf and bake it in a Dutch oven. Allow the bread to cool on a rack for two to three hours before slicing it. Then keep in mind that making your sourdough starter will take three to five days. Do not rush the process as the quality of your starter is what will give your dough a good flavor and help it rise. Also note that you will use only part of the starter to make the bread. You can save the rest for future use as long as you refrigerate it and feed it at least once a week. When you're ready to make another loaf, simply take your starter out of the fridge one to three days ahead of time and feed it once a day until it strengthens again. But yeah, sourdough bread's awesome. There's a nice little way to get you started on it if you want to make your own. The way this world is going, we got to start making our own shit. We got to start making, get those chickens, the chicken coop going, get some goats, get some, a variety of nice little greenhouse materials that you can set up and get nice tables that you can use, whether you're standing, sitting, or whatever, however you have to get around. Make it now. Spend the money if you can and get set up the way you need to because the future isn't going to get any easier. It's going to get harder. Might as well make as much of the own stuff as we can. And hell, it gives us a workout. It's a way of getting some exercise getting some physical activity in our lives. So it makes me happy. I, I enjoy working outside. I just hate the damn pain. And when every cell in your body hurts and every movement you make, everything you do, you just want to scream out, cry, yell, throw things, but you don't want to throw things because it hurts to move your arms to throw things. It hurts to scream. It hurts to try. It hurts to do any freaking movement, anything, at least for me. I don't know. I, I'm sick of it. But I enjoy it. It's things I like doing, so I still try to do them, but it hurts. It hurts a lot. And I got to hide it. I don't want people to see it. I don't want to let it out. If I let it out, I'd be screaming all day long. <laughs> and my wife mentioned it the other day. It's like, you hide stuff very well. And it's like, I know. I'd, I'd love to let things out, but if I did, I'd never stop. I'd be yelling out in pain constantly, screaming out. 
begging for it to stop. But what you gonna do? If you show it, it's even worse because you gotta explain it. If you hide it, hell, they might think you're faking it, but at least you don't have to answer a bunch of stupid questions when you're trying to deal with pains and you don't want to talk about anything else. You just got to do what you can to get through life, get through your day, survive. Survive to fight another day with this freaking monster. But I'm running out of time, so I'm going to end this segment here and I'll come back with at least one more segment of health-related goodies in the near future or right after this. (laughs) All right, let's check out some more health-related stuff. That we have to look at to talk about. We've been talking about secondary progressive MS in the past couple weeks. We've been talking about primary progressive MS. We learned about primary relapsing MS this week, which I've never really heard it in that form before, I don't think. It could be wrong. But let's look at relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. Basically, you'll start out, if you have multiple sclerosis, there's a good chance you're going to start out with clinically isolated syndrome. And this is probably, will be way before you even get diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. CIS may be an isolated incident or the first occurrence of a neurological condition. While the symptoms are characteristic of multiple sclerosis, the condition doesn't meet the diagnostic Criteria of MS unless it recurs. So more than likely, most people won't be lucky enough to find a doctor to diagnose them with relapsing or remitting multiple sclerosis or whatever stage they're at. But uh, if you are lucky enough to have some symptoms and have doctors that are intelligent enough to look into neurological orders if you have certain types of issues that might relate to neurological type symptoms and maybe smart enough to consider looking into a brain scan or something to see what may be causing your issues and maybe if you do you might be lucky unlucky lucky but lucky enough that you get diagnosed while you're still in clinically isolated syndrome mode. But then, like they say, you may not go on to relapsing remitting. It may be a one-time issue or something like that, and you may never deal with it again. So that's why it's hard to really get diagnosed for the CIS uh, level stage and then you got relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis this type of MS is marked by relapses of new or worsened symptoms with intervals of remission in between Uh, 
and then and that's the one that you're gonna most people are gonna get diagnosed with if when you first get diagnosed the majority of, of us will probably still be in the relapsing remitting phases and a lot of people don't go beyond that phase they may stay in that phase if you're lucky enough <laughs> and i know i keep saying lucky that's just because if you don't advance into the i mean they have primary progressive ms is the next one that says in PPMS, the symptoms get progressively worse from the onset of the disease. There are no periods of complete remission. That should be after secondary progressive MS, which they have before, before it on their list. But secondary progressive MS follows an initial pattern of relapses and remissions, then gets progressively worse. That's why it would go into the primary progressive stage. Uh, people with RRMS can eventually transition to having SPMS, which I did, and now I think I am in the primary progressive MS stage because according to their list of symptoms at that stage, I am definitely in those phases, but I am not in a wheelchair or in a bed yet. Think, thankfully, but uh, it could be my future, which I'm trying my damnedest to keep a, keep away. I keep trying to do things every day to try and keep that immobility part of life from hitting me like a brick, brick shit house, brick shit house. Uh, let's see, the symptoms of MS vary from person to person, may include things like sensations of numbness or tingling, fatigue, feeling weak, muscle spasms or stiffness, problems with coordination or balance, issues with vision, such as double vision, blurry vision, or partial or complete uh, vision loss, heat sensitivity, bowel or bladder problems, cognitive changes such as trouble with processing, learning and organizing information, tingling or shock-like sensations when bending the neck forward, the Le Hermes sign. But between relapse and remitting, multiple sclerosis relapses are periods of remission with no clinical evidence of disease progression. Sometimes these remission periods can last for years. Uh, they have... Oh, what exactly causes relapsing remitting MS and other types of MS is currently unknown. That's why I don't know why they have a section of the causes of relapsing remitting MS. A combination of genetic and environmental factors such as smoking, vitamin D deficiency, and certain viral infections may play a role. Where you live may play a role. And your environment, your lifestyle, your background around you. Uh, 
everything you deal with it's just certain things could affect and aid aid it but i don't know there is no known cause yet uh, some tips for living with relapse and remitting ms is try to stay active uh, with anything in life anybody period just stay active you're gonna you're gonna be better more than likely uh, just don't do stuff that's gonna overwork certain muscles and damage muscles and stuff like that just do things that your body can accept and work around it and build up to bigger and better things hopefully and keep yourself from progressing faster than what the disease is doing at its moment normal moment uh eat healthy of course i mean it's common sense the basics eat healthy focus on your greens your vegetables your fruits your better greens better oils everything uh, eat healthy stay active that's just basically a, a key to life hopefully helping almost everybody live a better life if you do those things i mean that's that's something that should be common sense and then with multiple sclerosis depending on what your issues are avoid extreme cold or heat some of us can't stand the cold some of us can't stand the heat some can't stand both i'm more heat intolerant than cold intolerant but i have issues with both uh, avoid stress stress can make i believe stress and anxiety can make anybody sick if you worry about things it kind of tears your body down makes you weaker makes you have other issues if you smoke quit if you smoke thc you might want to go to a volcano or something where the mist can cool down go to edibles for your thc and cbd and stuff because uh, the heat from smoking can inflame your insides your lungs and stuff cause inflammation and set things off so then nicotine is not good for you cigarette smoking is terrible for you just quit it i quit cold turkey one day i was smoking two to three packs a day and all day dart tournament and we started early in the morning played all day and night about one-ish in the morning or whatever i wanted to go home no one wanted to give me a ride it was around midnight i think midnight one so i said screw it i walked home which was about a 20 mile walk well nah 15. well no i take that back because we were shooting in west bend so it was about a 40 mile 30 to 40 mile walk 
actually in the Barton area, which is in the northern part of West Bend, which is a medium-ish sized town, probably about, I don't know, I come from a town of a couple thousand people, so they'd probably be about 20,000 maybe, 25,000 people in that town. I don't know, that's just guessing. But I walked home from that, and then I threw my pack out. When I got to the train tracks closer to my house, and just said, screw it, I'm done with these damn things. Tossed them, and just never looked back. And surprisingly, both my dog and my wife got healthier. Because they were sucking in the secondhand smoke. And it's just funny because I noticed it on our on our animals and my wife. You could notice it within a week that well, actually even before that. But uh yeah, you noticed it big time there was a difference in the way they acted and my wife used to get colds all the time. And that's also because she worked at a place that she'd come home stinking like a chemical. And when that all stopped, all that cold shit stopped and sickness shit that she had. And now it's only once once or twice a year she'll get a cold or something like that. So. Alright. Let's find support. And there's groups. There's online stuff. There's local events you can search for and local group get-togethers or something like that. See if you can find any like-minded individuals individuals with the same disease and see if you can get some help from them and especially or help someone else and help someone new understand what they're possibly going to go through. Uh the test that they'll do on yours, same as with all of us, all the different stages. They'll do the MRI, the blood test, the lumbar puncture, possibly the visual evoke potential test. That test uses electrodes to collect information on the electrical signals that your nerves make when reacting to a visual stimulus. Uh, they'll do the walking test, the gait test, the knee tapping test and all that just to see what your responses are, your hand response test, leg response, all that stuff. And then you'll decide whether or not you want to do a DMT or a DMD, disease modifying drug, disease modifying therapy, or see if there's anything that you want to get on and try. If you have relapses, they might put you on corticosteroids if you want them. I'm not a fan of them because I know your body will just get worse with other things if you do it a lot. So I'm saving it for absolute emergency times because most people I see spending five days trying to recover from a relapse with corticosteroids and I do it without anything, any steroids at home just suffering it out and it takes me three to five days and it's gone too so why put something 
threatening to your body and into you unless you have to. Some healthy peanut butters. Mm. I used to love peanut butter, and then if you listen to my other stuff, you know that this last year or so, I started getting nauseous and pukey feeling whenever I had peanut butter, coffee, or tea. And those were three things I liked most of my life and never had problems with them. And now, yeah. But I would like to try some other ones. Other than the commercial peanut butters, the healthiest commercial peanut butters contain minimal ingredients, starting starting with peanuts and sometimes salt or other nuts. There's lots of different nut butters. Less healthy varieties often contain hydrogenated vegetable oils and added sugar. There's a Crazy Richards 100% peanuts, peanuts, all-natural peanut butter. It's like per two tablespoons, there's 32 grams Oh, they, and they get, you can look at the label and see, but it's like out of the 32 grams, you got 180 calories, 8 grams protein, 16 grams fat, 2 grams saturated fat, 5 grams carb, 3 grams fiber, 2 grams sugar. I'm not going to read those things out on all these, but that one looks all right. Doesn't look like it's oil topped, but a lot of these are gonna have like that separated oil too on them sometimes. Uh, the 365 Everyday Value Organic Peanut Butter, unsweetened and no salt. I believe this is one I tried and I liked it. Uses dry roasted organic peanuts. They have the Trader Joe's Creamy No Salt Organic Peanut Butter Valencia. Which I hear good things about Trader Joe's, but never tried any of their products. The Adams 100% Natural Unsalted Peanut Butter. Adams I've had before, but not that. Uh, Maranatha. M-A-R-A-N-A. T-H-A, organic peanut butter. And these all use peanuts, so I was thinking they'd give us some other nut butters, but yeah, these are ones that might try a couple of these, see if I can get it, get the taste back. Santa Cruz organic peanut butter. And then there's peanut butters that use a palm oil, like Justin's Classic Peanut Butter, and 365 Everyday Value Organic Unsweetened Peanut Butter also uses palm oil in it. And then they got powdered peanut butters, like PB and Me, which is an organic powdered peanut butter. I uh, tried a tiny little bit of this once had like a little sample pack or something. It was actually surprising how well it 
transferred to a peanut butter. Uh, but these are great for cooking and stuff like that. You got Crazy Richard's 100% pure all-natural peanut powder. But yeah. Basically where they say some peanut butter varieties are healthier than others. Look for peanut butters that contain minimal ingredients. And you always want the like two, three, four ingredients that you can read and understand. Uh, peanut butters that contain palm oil and powdered peanut butters can still be a part of a healthy diet, but they come from some other health considerations or with some other health considerations. Uh, be sure to look at the ingredients list and nutritional panel. I always double check those labels just to see what's out there. Uh, some of the best exercises for heart health, I would expect. Yeah, the first one is what I would expect. Aerobic style, like going for a brisk walk, biking on a flat terrain, taking a leisurely swim, gardening, dancing. I'd say house chores and stuff are good. But taking a walk is probably one of the best things for you. And if you want to eliminate the impact impact on your joints, the even better option if you can do it. Swimming is great. All my doctors wanted me to get into it, but I don't have pools around me that I can just rent out and go to. I have to go to like lakes. Around here, the closest pool I can go to is about a half hour away, and that's just too much running around. Uh, some other great things in that category would, would be things like jogging, biking, swimming laps, playing soccer, hiking uphill. Strength training, but I say be careful with this because you're dealing with your heart. So when you're lifting free weights and stuff, you're putting that extra pressure. So be careful. Don't do it after surgery or an event or anything like that. Do it when your body's in good motivated shape and it's not stressed out at all. But using resistance bands is probably a better option to start things out. Doing push-ups, like I say, I like doing my stair push-ups. Uh, doing sit-ups, doing squats, and all things like that. Building up muscle. And there's flexibility. Whereas flexibility, you can do a lot of stuff with the workout straps and just doing stretching and using walls and using chairs and equipment and stairs and stuff so you can do different things to flex your muscles and flex your body and stretch out those all those joints and just as long as you're moving that's a good thing so you want to keep moving all right, let's look at look at, at your multiple sclerosis treatment. 
asking the right questions. Anyway, you want to keep a notepad or your electronic device or whatever, but keep notes for your doctors. You may or may not remember to take them to the appointment. You may or may not remember to even ask them. I can have them right in front of my face and I'll still forget to read half of them and I'll be going home and it's like, damn it, why didn't I ask that one? But things like, what are your treatment goals and expectations? Are you comfortable with giving yourself injections at home? Would you rather get an infusion at a licensed clinic? Could you remember to administer an injection or take oral medication daily? Or would you rather take a medication with less frequent dosing? What side effects can you live with? What side effects will be most difficult for you to cope with? Can you manage the need to schedule regular liver and blood tests? Will your travel or work schedule affect your ability to take your medications on time? Will you be able to store your medications safely and out of the reach of children if you need to? Are you pregnant or planning to become pregnant? Are you already taking any medications or supplements? Which medications are covered by your particular insurance plan? You can do treatment options like we talked with the corticosteroids or the prednisone or the methylprednisone. And different things they may give you during an attack. Uh, your DMTs, you have injectables, you have oral DMTs, you have infusion DMTs. Uh, you gotta check your insurance and your costs and make sure things are covered. And if you have to go through any type of insurance programs and stuff like that, you can get it set up usually right through the drug companies that you're going to be taking or are taking. Uh, you got to look at side effects of all the different medications and things like corticosteroids. You could be dealing with weight gain and mood swings and unexpected or persistent infections. Uh, some DMTs affect the immune system. They could cause things like fever, flu-like symptoms, increased risk of infection, nausea, vomiting, rash, itching, hair loss, headaches, redness, swelling, or pain at the injection site. You gotta look at how your different treatments will affect your lifestyle. When you have to take your medications, when you're out and about, do you have to worry about it? Uh, are they your sight flare-ups and all that stuff? Your skin problems, anything like that, are you gonna have to deal with? Uh, should you participate in a clinical trial and look and see if there's any that relate to you around your area if you believe you should and you're good with possibly getting stuck in the placebo group, go for it if you want. Talk to your doctor about it. Will your treatment ever stop? I don't know. I. It's up to you, number one. You can stop it whenever you want. And just decide not to go on any more treatment. But like me, I, I'm getting ready for year two of Mavenclad. And I'm not happy about it. I mean, this thing wipes out my T and B cells. Could cause all kinds of cancer-related shit. 
all this other stuff. I don't want this freaking med in me, but I was told that this is my next line of defense. So we went with it, and now I'm getting ready to start year two, and I don't even want to do year two because year one, I I felt like my body was rebuilding itself for a couple months, and then all of a sudden, bam, I just got hit with all the old shit. just all came back at once, and it hit me like a freight train, and... If you've dealt with chronic issues, you'll understand that eventually you become used to the pains and the issues and everything around you and everything that you're dealing with. And if you get a break from it for a little while, it just, it's a relieving break and all of a sudden it comes back and it's like, oh shit. I forgot what this is like. <laughs> and yeah, you do forget. You can deal with it forever. And then all of a sudden, it's gone for a little bit and comes back. And so, yeah, you do forget the pain when it's not there. And when it comes back, it can be a bitch. So. You got to take that into consideration, too. So, but just write everything down that you can. Keep track of stuff. Keep notes. And it's the podcast is my big note taker. I can always look back at things and say, okay, this is where I was. And the funny thing is, when I do look back a year from an issue I'm having, it's like, yeah, I had that same issue last year. And it, it helps having those type of things. So keep a blog, keep a, do a podcast. It might help other people and other people need to hear your stories too. be a patient advocate or whatever, but we're on out of time. So I'm going to end it here. Hope you learned something today that can help you with your health issues. And we'll get back to you again sometime soon. Uh, Rate, review, tell a friend. Check out Crimson Color Comic Club under the call, under the call of MS. Subscribe. Send questions and comments to kevintheduckpool at gmail.com. And we'll get back to you again probably tomorrow with a normal Thursday episode. So be good, be safe, and we'll be back.